looking forward to this series. I've been looking forward to this series for a while. We are kicking off today a new series called Grace in the Age of Outrage. I don't know if you've noticed, but you can't, get, uh, you can't watch the news, read the news, hear the news, log into social media, have a dinner table conversation, or just be without hearing outrage turned up all the way to 11, right? I mean, we are living in an age of outrage. And for for those of us that are Jesus followers and for those of us who are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, and by the way, if you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, I'm so glad that you're here with us today, whether online or in person. Uh, You know as well as I do that the, the, the wisdom of this current age is not satisfying our, longest, our, our longings and desires for peace and love and unity. Y'all hear me on that? And so maybe you're here today because you're wondering if Jesus has anything in store, and I just want to tell you, he totally does. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, uh, we need a word from God. I want to tell you that there are so many words being spoken right now. Think about, just reflect on the last week. How many words have you heard? And as you think about those words that are going into your being, how many of those words were words flavored with outrage or anger or malice or deceit or gossip? We need a new word. We need a true word. We need a peaceful word. We need a powerful word. Have you guys ever heard the term uh, garbage in, garbage out? If you feed yourself garbage, what comes out of you? Garbage. If you feed yourself outrage, what will inevitably sweat from your pores? Outrage, right? We need to be nourished by something more than what this current age of outrage has to offer. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 uh, uh, Peter chapter 2. For the next six weeks, we're going to study one chapter of the Bible. Uh, some of us may be thinking, well, why just one chapter? I think that you'll, it'll, it'll be clear to you as we go through this series. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we are going to discover six postures that Jesus' followers can live out in an age of outrage. Six postures. In fact, we wrote them down, and they're on tables in the back. And so if you didn't grab one on your way in, make sure you grab one on your way out. They're little cards that at the top they say, I am, and then you get the six postures. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take one of these, two of these, three of these, and put them on your mirror that you look at in the morning. Put them on your fridge. Put them in your wallet, your purse, your phone case, whatever it is. And here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Before you read or listen to the news, before you log onto social media, before you sit down to have a conversation about, I don't know, any one of the issues that are causing outrage today, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Pull this out and say these words to yourself. I am a peace bringer. I am a kingdom ambassador, and so on and so forth. Remind yourself as a Jesus follower of the posture or postures that Jesus calls you to take in an age of outrage. You see, Jesus does not call us to retreat from the age of outrage. He calls us to live his grace in the midst of it. 
But we can only do that if we are reminded of the postures that Jesus has called us to. So we're gonna, we're gonna find this in 1 Peter chapter two. Some of us may be, again, wondering why 1 Peter chapter two. I'll just, I'll show it to you here real quick. Let me see if I can bring it up on the screen. Oops, I went too far. Boom, watch this. Now, see if this sounds like it might could possibly at all be applicable to today. Therefore, rid yourselves of malice, Uh, deceit. You guys been on Facebook lately? Uh, oh, hypocrisy. Have you guys um, ever seen that in like when leaders are trying to get elected? I just didn't know. I didn't know. I just, I'm wondering. Uh, envy. Hello, Americans. And all slander. Hi. Do you think that this chapter might have something for today. I, I can't hear you. You're not, the online people, I hear you screaming at your screens. Uh, they, they, and they're, they're, they're here. Let, let's, let's do that so we can let them know that you're here. Uh, could this have anything possibly at all to do with today? Yeah. Yes, okay, great. Now watch this. We need a new word, right? We need to be feeding ourselves not on outrage, but on a word from God. And this is what it says. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word. So that's speaking of the scripture. So that by it, you may grow up into your salvation. And here's a quote from the Psalms. Actually, we did a sermon on one of these Psalms just a few uh, weeks ago. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love this metaphor. What the author is saying is you can choose to feed yourself like a baby with a bottle, you can put all sorts of toxic and destructive stuff in the bottle and feed yourself. And if you feed yourself poison, what's gonna happen to your body? You're gonna die, right? And you are going to exhibit all that happens to your body when you're feeding it poison. If you feed your soul, if you feed your mind poison, what is going to come out of you? Poison. Right? If you feed yourself envy, slander, hypocrisy, malice, deceit, what's going to come out of you? Those things. But if you feed yourself the true milk, right, the, uh, the, the pure milk, the true nourishment of the word of God, what will come out of you is grace, even in the age of outrage. And so I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll go through verses 1 through like 12. And then we're going uh, to talk about tattoos, uh, ancient priests, temples, the Ten Commandments, and uh, the Mark of the Beast. We're going to do it all in the next, like, 20 minutes. You guys ready? Yeah, this is going to be great. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Here we go. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. And so honor will come to you who believe, 
But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. Now here, lean into this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. TV time out. That's kind of like the world, right? So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll put it in the paraphrase. Conduct yourselves honorably among the world so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good work and will glorify God on the day he visits. This is the word of the Lord. You see here in this text that Peter does some posturing. And by that, what I mean is he's giving the church the appropriate posture to take as they engage in the age of outrage. Now, like I said, we've got this, uh, these cards in the back with these different postures. The one that we're going to talk about today is that we are name bearers of Jesus. And again, you'll see that on the card. Make sure you grab some of those on your way out today. We are name bearers of Jesus. And so let me ask you this. Whose name do you bear? Whose name do you bear? Now, isn't that a weird question? No Bible trivia guy over here says no. Isn't that a weird question for normal folks? Yeah. That's a weird, what do you mean the name I bear, right? I mean, right? That's kind of a weird thing to say. So let's take a look at the text. For, for me, when, this was, when, I, when I was taught this, it was so mind-blowing. Uh, and I can't wait to share it with you. Watch what uh, Peter says. First uh, Peter uh, 2, 9 through 10. Now, chickity, chickity, check. Watch what he says. You are, you are. Who is the you? It's the church. You are what? A, you got, you got, y'all gonna help me out here. Okay, you got about six months of time to make up for. I haven't seen you all in six months. You are a, 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 so that you may, of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see these postures, these identity markers that Peter is speaking over the church? Do you see them? He's saying, you are these things. Now, what, what a bunch of weird things to say, Right? I mean, what, a chosen race? I don't know what that means. A royal priesthood? Huh? Holy nation? I don't think we're in it. Like, we're a church, not a nation. A people for his possession? Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Proclaim the praises? Yeah, that's why we sing. Okay, so that makes sense. You're God's people. That's something that people say. But I want you to see that Peter is not just making this up on his own. Peter is steeped in the scriptures. And what Peter is doing is, uh, he is, oh, have you guys ever heard of a cover band? 
Help me out. You guys heard of cover bands before? A cover band, a cover band is a band, and they're, they're sometimes good. A lot of times they're not, but sometimes they're good. And they come out and they perform other people's music. They perform covers of the other music, right? So there's cover bands that will do other people's songs. But then there's also this concept of sampling music, where you take little pieces of previously recorded by other artists' music and you incorporate into your music, right? And so uh, I know the, I, all the clubs that, y'all, that I see you all at on Friday nights, I know when I see you there, sometimes when you're listening to club music, right, like DJ Funky Fresh, you'll hear samples in, in the music, right? You'll be, you'll be, and then you'll hear like, and you're like, oh, I know that riff, right? It's a familiar tune. You guys know what I'm talking about? You'll hear the riff and you'll be like, I know what song this is. You guys ever heard that one? Right? Okay, so that's a riff. I know it's, it's from the 80s. I apologize. Right? You are God's people. What Peter is doing is he's riffing on Scripture. Watch this. We're going to have to go all the way back to the Exodus. This is an actual historical photo we found of the Exodus. The Exodus uh, is in the book of, um, it's in the book that's called, um, it's not Genesis, not Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What's the book that the Exodus is? Exodus, that's right. So it's in a book called Exodus, and it talks about the exodus of God's people out of slavery, how God redeemed and restored his people, right? So in the Exodus, so God calls out his people, but here's the deal. The people early on in the book of Exodus, they don't really know God. I mean, like God's only chosen to to speak to like a couple of people like Moses. And so the people as a whole, they don't really know much about who God is and and, and what he's like and what his character is like, they, they don't really know much about him. And so there's this moment, it's probably one of the most critical moments in the Older Testament where God uh, establishes a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai. So Mount Sinai is the mountain. Sometimes you might see pictures of, you know, a picture of Moses up on top of a mountain with tablets. That's Mount Sinai. And at Sinai, God establishes his relationship, his covenant relationship with his people. He's going to say, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and you're going to be like this. Now, watch what happens next. If you will carefully listen to me, this is God speaking, right, to the people through Moses. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, right, he's establishing a covenant with them, you will be what? My own possession. Do you remember Peter saying, you are a people, you are a God's possession. Do you remember that? It was five minutes ago. You guys remember that? You got to take your ginkgo biloba, right? So you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be what? My kingdom of priests and? So at Sinai, God establishes his covenant with his covenant people. And he says to his people, you will be my what? You will be my priests. Now, what do priests do? Priests do things like they lead people in worship, they offer sacrifices. But if you were to boil it down, and this is just the Caleb Campbell paraphrase, if you were to boil it down, what priests do is they represent God to the people and the people to God. The priests, they come to the people and say, here's what God says. And they go to God and say, and pray on behalf of the people. They represent God to the people and the people to God. That's primarily the job of the priests. Now, there was one priest in particular 
that, is, that was called the high priest. And in the high priest, you have this, to use a literary term, an archetype. You have kind of like the ultimate priesty, priesty priest in the high priest. If you want to know what a priest really, really, really for reals does, you look at the high priest, right? The high priest is uh, the template of all the other priests. Now, there is all this interesting stuff in Exodus written about what the high priest is supposed to do. And by the way, if you want to know more about this stuff, on Tuesday nights at 6.30 in the student center and on Zoom, I'll be hosting a deep dive uh, Bible study in this. So if, if I say things that leave you hanging, we could cover it in the class. I'd love to have you join me. If you're in a community group and uh, you'd like to join as a community group, Tuesday night, 6.30. If you're not in a group, I'd love to have you join mine, Tuesday night, 6.30, in the student center or online. And you just go to dsbc.church and up under the events tab, you'll find the First Peter deep dive study. I'd love to have you join me for that. So we'll cover a lot of the stuff that we do today in that class. The high priest, he's the priestiest priest of all, right? Here we go. There's all this kind of odd stuff that's the high priest is called to do, like his clothing and stuff like that. And it's very symbolic, the clothing he wears and the words that he says, but watch this. God is speaking about the high priest and he says, you are to make a pure gold medallion and engrave it like the engraving of a seal. And on the medallion, what are the three words that are gonna be on there? Say, say it one more time for the rest of the class. Holy to the Lord, right? Or, or another way to put it, right? Holy is kind of a weird word for many of us. Set apart for the Lord. Or to put it another way, belonging to God, right? Belonging to God. And where is it going to be? Weird spot. Aaron. Aaron's the, he's the, he's the first of the high priests. And where's that medallion going to live? That medallion that says belonging to God. Where does it go? Forehead. So Aaron's walking around with a gold medallion that says, holy to God. Now, Aaron, remember the job of the priests. They represent God to the people and the people to God. Aaron would wear or bear two names. He would bear on his chest and, and I think on his uh, arm, uh, maybe it was his shoulders. Uh, he would bear the names of the tribes of the people of Israel. He would bear the people's name on his body and he would bear the name of God on his body, Right? Where's the name of God? Forehead. Where's the name of the people? Over his heart, right? Remember, the job of a priest is to represent God to the people and the people to God. Okay. So he takes this, uh, this golden medallion, it's on his forehead, and it says, belonging to God. Have you ever put your name on one of your treasured possessions? Now you got to talk to me. Give me an example. Right? We, we, everyone's like, well, I said yes, but I didn't know there was going to be a follow-up question. Um, underwear? I put my name on my underwear. Your Bible? What is it? Child's toys? Jewelry? Books? Yeah, I emboss my books because I, I lend them. I, I'm used to lending them out, and then I can't find them. And these Philistines, they never bring them back. If I lent you one of my books, I need it back. Right? You, you stamp your name onto something that is yours. And if it is a treasured possession, you want to make sure your name is on it, right? And so here, God says, you are my treasured possession, and he stamps his name on the priest, because what's the job of the priest? To represent God to the people and to represent the people to God. And so the priest bears both names. But you have this idea of on Aaron's forehead is the name of God, right? The name is on his body saying, I belong 
to God. And here's the deal about the priests. If you want to know, let me ask you this. How many of you just uh, in biblical fidelity love the Dallas Cowboys? Philistines. Okay. So... So, so I do, right? And so, so, so this will be great. Okay, so you guys hate the Cowboys. That's fine. The Lord, the Lord disciplines those he loves. So, uh, so if you see someone in a Cowboys jersey and they mistreat you and they slander you and they're to you and you see on their body the brand Dallas Cowboys, what is your assumption about other Cowboys fans? The next time you see that jersey, what's your assumption? Well, if they behave in the same way, and then the third behaves in the same way, and then the fourth behaves in the same way, you're going to start to believe that the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, etc., that anyone who bears the name Dallas Cowboys is a jerk. Right? The reason that as a church we do not have DSBC bumper stickers... is because I've been seeing y'all drive. And we ain't got no time for no slanderous accusations because of your poor driving. But if you see a DSBC bumper sticker, if we had them on the back of a car and they cut you off in traffic, what do you think about DSBC? Bad drivers, right? It's the same way God calls the people to represent him to the people. If you wanna know what God's like, look at the people the people that are set apart, the people that are his own possession, the people that bear his name. Y'all with me? If you want to know what God's like, you look at his people. That's the whole setup in Exodus, right? You saw it in the text before that God said, though the whole earth is mine and all the peoples are mine, I'm going to set this one apart and you're going to live in a specific way to be my priests. You are going to reflect me to the people. Do you see it? And so I'm going to put my name on you. And your priest, as a kingdom of priests, my name will be on you. So Carmen Imes, she is a brilliant theologian. She wrote in a book called Bearing God's Name this. At Sinai, God bestowed titles on his people like treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nation, And as his treasured possession, Israel's vocation, their job, the thing they were born to do is to represent their God to the rest of humanity. They function in priestly ways, mediating between God and everyone else. They are set apart or holy for his service. At Sinai, remember that mountain, God claims this nation as his very own and releases them to live out their calling. That calling is to bear God's name among the nations. That is to represent him well. God establishes his covenant with the people, calls them a kingdom of priests, and then says, go live in light of this truth and represent me to the people, to the whole earth. Okay? So, y'all ever heard about the Ten Commandments? That's, it's either the second or the third one, depending on how you number them. That one about taking the Lord's name in vain has always been weird to me because the way that I learned it was you're not supposed to curse or say, you know, God damn it. Which, by the way, that is a prayer. 
so it's not a curse, I guess, sometimes. You're not allowed to say that. That's what it means to bear the Lord's name in vain. But that seems ridiculous to me. And here's why. All of the other commandments are these massively tall peaks of integrity and truth. And don't curse made the third on the list? That doesn't seem, should at least be like 12. Watch this. What is the job of God's people? What do they bear? They bear the name of God. God has stamped them. These are mine, wholly belonging to God. And what is their role? To reflect God to the people. And so if you bear God's name in vain, what are you doing? You are misrepresenting the character of God. You are walking, just do it like this. You're wearing the cowboy's jersey, which are the Lord's anointed. You're wearing the cowboy's jersey. And you act a fool to someone. You are bearing the cowboy's name in vain. You are misrepresenting. Do you see? If you and I bear the name of God and then live in ways that are contrary to God's character... We are bearing the name, how? We are bearing the name in vain. You see, God sets apart his people and says, my name is on you. Don't live like it's not. You with me? Which is like way more intense than don't curse. Right? I, the, the don't curse thing is kind of easy. But every aspect of my being being filtered through the lens that I bear the name of God, oh, I'm going to need some sort of power source to be able to do that. Yeah? Okay, let's keep going. Uh, you guys ever heard of the Mark of the Beast? Yeah, it's on Facebook a bunch. Some people think it's a microchip. Some people think it's a barcode. Some people think it's a credit card. The ancients thought it was an imperial symbol. I don't know exactly what the mark is. I'm going to give you my opinion. Can you, did you guys hear me say this is my opinion? Did you hear me? I'm just going to say it again. It's my opinion. You guys hear that? I, th I, think it's, I think it's more of a metaphor speaking to uh, allegiance than it is an actual thing. Uh, but that's just my opinion. And I, I want to show you why. You ready? Here we go. Uh, yeah, so Revelation is scary. There's beasts and stuff and, you know, boogeymen. And uh, in Revelation 5, 9b through 10, speaking about followers of Jesus, the author John, who, by the way, John now, just like Peter, John is riffing on the Exodus story. You got me? He's sampling that same tune. And watch what John says in Revelation 5. You purchased a people for God by your blood. Speaking to Jesus, who's referred to as the lamb in Revelation. Remember... You purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. Remember in Exodus, God says, although all the nations are mine. Yeah, from all the nations now come, and this is like a mind bender. You made them a, you'll never guess what he calls them. A kingdom of priests. What is a priest's job? To reflect God to the people and the people to God. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. You get this language from Exodus used of Jesus' followers that we are to be and will be forever co-rulers with Jesus as a kingdom of priests. And right now, Jesus' followers take up that same mantle, take up that same posture, 
as a kingdom of priests, a holy nation set apart, a people of God's own possession, to proclaim the name of God and whose name is on us. This is interesting. Watch this. In verse uh, 13, uh, chapter 13 of Revelation, speaking about um, the, one of the beasts, I think it's the beast of the sea, says it, it makes it, so um, real quick, the beast is most likely, at least in my mind, it is speaking of evil power structures. Makes everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or his, you'll never guess where. Say it again. Forehead. Forehead. So that no one can buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast's name or the number of his name. Okay, so do you see that John is riffing on the concept of the mark of God being on your, on your forearm or your forehead, which were the two places that Aaron, the high priest, bore the name of God? Do you see that the author of Revelation is riffing on that concept? And he says, the beast, and again, the beast could... could Again, you want to know more, come to the Tuesday night class. But at the very least, what does it mean to take on the mark of the beast? Here's my best reading. The taking on the mark of the beast says, I give my allegiance to the kingdoms of this world. I give my allegiance to the evil empire. I give my allegiance to the kingdom of evil. As in contrast to the other kingdom, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of the Lamb. So in Revelation, you have these uh, juxtaposed power structures, the lamb, which is Jesus, and the beast, the, uh, which is evil, or the, the dragon, which is evil. And I understand that the mark of the beast is to say, the thing that has its stamp on me is the kingdoms of this world, or the kingdoms of darkness, or the kingdoms of evil. And so the author of Revelation is cautioning Jesus' followers, saying, don't take on the mark of the beast, of the dragon, of evil. Rather, in juxtaposition, take on the name of Jesus. So Revelation uh, 22, 3, 4, 4, there will be no longer any curse. This is the end of the book of Revelation. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. Speaking about every Jesus follower, it says, they will see his face and what? His name will be where? So at the end of time, which is the beginning of the rest. We stand face to face with Jesus and his mark is on us. Where is it? On our foreheads. Okay, so this is why, so it's within this framework that Peter says this, right? We're back to 1 Peter 2. Watch what Peter says. In the meantime, as a kingdom of priests, and a priest's job is to represent God to the people and the people to God. And the kingdom of priests bear the name of Jesus on their person. Hmm? Conduct yourselves, because you are name bearers, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles or the rest of the world, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your what? Your good works. And will give glory, uh, will glorify God on the day that he visits us. Friends, Whose name do you bear? So let me just lean in and then we'll conclude. Jesus longs to use you by the power of his spirit to reveal his goodness, his love, his grace, his generosity, and his mercy 
He longs to use you as a priest to reflect him to your neighbor, to your relatives, even the ones you don't like, to your coworkers, to your classmates, to the people on social media, especially the ones you don't like. Jesus longs to use you to reflect him to the people. You bear a name. Do not bear that name in vain. Now that, for me at least, it feels impossible, and so let me just land with this. It is not by our power that we do this, but the power of God's Holy Spirit living through us. Our job is not to conjure up some sort of, you know, good moral fortuitiveness. Our role is to simply submit to Jesus at every step of the way and say, Jesus, I bear your name. Would you empower me to live in light of that day to day, moment by moment? He longs to use you and he loves you so much. So let us not be a people who bear his name in vain. We love helping people take their next steps at Desert Springs. I'd love to encourage you to take a next step. Maybe you've never studied the Bible or you've been studying the Bible for a long time. I'd love to have you join me on Tuesday night starting this week for our uh, deep dive Bible study. It'll take us actually through the election. And so it may be a a place of um, peace for you as we study God's word together. Let me pray for us and for for Jesus to bless us and empower us. Lord, we, we love you and we give you thanks. And in this moment, Jesus, we need your power, Spirit of the living God. Would you fall fresh on us? We want to bear your name rightly. We want to represent you rightly, even in this age of outrage. And so we submit ourselves to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. We'll see you guys next week.